everybody doing okay today? Good. Hope you have your Bibles with you, and if you do, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. Just a little bit of an introduction where we'll be going the next few weeks. Of course, we have Mother's Day next week, so it may be a little bit different, but I kind of wanted to go back and revisit some of the things that I learned when I first became a Christian that were very helpful to me. And I have preached on uh, kind of this series before here, but it's been maybe five or six years ago and thought since our makeup has changed a little bit, it's always changing a little bit, that uh, I would go through these again. So we're going to be looking at, I believe, five different assurances that the Bible tell us are true about our faith in Jesus Christ. And so at some point we will talk about the assurance of our salvation. In other words, it answers the question, will I ultimately end up in heaven? And of course the answer to that is yes, but we'll describe why that is true. We'll also talk about assurance of answered prayer. Does God really answer our prayers? And of course he does answer our prayers. Sometimes no, (laughs) sometimes he answers yes, sometimes he says be patient, the answer is coming. And uh, we will also talk about assurance of guidance. Does God give us guidance in this life to come? Does God give us any kind of, of assurance that we will have victory over temptation in our life? I know even as a Christian, I've been a Christian for a long time, there are still things that I struggle with. Does God really say that we can have victory over temptation? But today we're gonna start out with assurance of forgiveness, which answers the question, can I truly know and be assured that my sins have been forgiven? And so we're gonna be looking at a lot of different things, but first of all, we're gonna be looking at the scripture that I've selected for today, and it's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, a very, very great section of Scripture. I wish we had time just to go down through there verse by verse and talk about, about these individual verses. We won't do that today, but we will read them together. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word today. As I said, it's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And this, of course, not Paul, I'm used to saying Paul. This is the Apostle John speaking. And he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray over this section of scripture. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to read this as a group. Your word commands that one of the things we should do in corporate worship is to read the word of God. And we do that in Sunday school. We do that here. And we're thankful for it. We're thankful for the truth uh, in a section of scripture that is revealed to us. And it may take us a while to understand everything that is in this section of scripture. 
But the, the key point is very clear, that if we confess our sins to you, then you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you will help us during this time, I believe, to help to understand these verses. You'll give us wisdom to be able to see where we fall short and where we need to change direction and we need to maybe confess sin ourselves. And we also pray that you would give us a willingness to obey what we have just read and what we will be talking about and the courage to, to change our life um, and be obedient to your will in this matter. And so we ask for a lot of things today. We don't ask for material things. We don't ask uh, for anything except that you teach us that we might know your word and be the people you want us to be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much once again for being here. I think this is an important topic for us to understand. It's important for a lot of different reasons, uh, which we will talk about, but uh, forgiveness is one thing that, first of all, we need to experience from God, right? We need to have that peace and assurance that comes from God, knowing that our sins are forgiven. So we might want to talk about what forgiveness is a little bit, and I think most of us generally have an idea of what it means to forgive someone or to have God's forgiveness, but just in case, let's talk about it just a little bit. So what is forgiveness? Really, it's God not counting our sins against us. It's him wiping the slate clean, so to speak, and so we know that we sin against God and that builds up a debt that we owe. And so forgiveness is God wiping away that debt, cleaning the slate, Think about a chalkboard and there's a whole bunch of writing on it. He cleans that slate and makes it clean. He cancels our debt. One of the things that's very popular today uh, on TV and you hear in politics all the time is about the forgiveness of student debt, right? So people have taken out these debts. They go to school and uh, they promise that they're going to pay for it. And then uh, the government comes along and says, we're just going to possibly forgive that debt and you won't have to pay for it. And we can talk about all the different ways that is a bad idea, <laughs> right? That's, that is a bad idea. But God forgiving our debt is not a bad idea. It is a very good idea. And that's kind of what uh, the sense of forgiveness brings to us. Think about yourself, a student, and say you're uh, in the medical field and you have built up all this debt over these period of years you've been going to uh, classes and then now you're ready to get out into the work field and yet you have this debt hanging over your head. It's gotta be paid. So that might determine where you work, right? Do you see how you can become a slave to money and you can also become a slave to sin? Is because if you have that debt it may determine where you have to work. It may determine, you know, who your friends are and all these different things because you have to get that debt paid off. Now imagine someone coming through and saying, I'm going to wipe that debt clean. That's a great feeling, right? Might not be a good idea in the student debt, but in God's economy is a very good idea for him to forgive, forgive that debt. Of course, someone has to pay, right? 
Even in the situation of our sin and forgiveness, someone has to pay for that debt. And we'll talk about that more in just a little bit, but there is a goal to forgiveness more than just having a debt fulfilled or canceled out. It's really about a reconciliation of a relationship, right? So we all want to have a relationship with God. We were created to have a relationship with God. And then our sin, which happens to each and every one of us, comes and tries to start building this wall between us and God. And it does so very successfully because God is a holy God. He's he's a God who cannot tolerate sin and cannot really be around sin. And so that causes this relationship that we are supposed to have with God to be strained and even broken off. And so the goal of forgiveness is the reconciliation of that relationship. And it's not only the relationship with God which must be reconciled, but it's relationships with each other as well, right? Because sometimes we need to extend forgiveness to others. We have wronged them or maybe they have wronged us and we need to be able to forgive them. And the Bible says that we are used to use the example of how God forgives us as how we are to forgive others within the church. And so we are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. It's full and complete forgiveness is what we're after, right? Where, where that relationship can be reconciled. Unfortunately, sometimes you go to a person and try to reconcile with them and they're unwilling to reconcile. In that case, you still go ahead and forgive them, right? And you don't hold that against them. And that is a type of forgiveness, but it's not complete unless there's reconciliation from both sides. And so that truly, truly is the goal. And we are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. I want to read a little bit from Matthew just to emphasize this a little bit. And it's a parable about a king who wanted to settle accounts. Maybe you're familiar with it. But just put on your headphones and block out the rest of the world and Listen to this parable as I tell it, uh, as Jesus told it, and learn what it has to say about how we are to forgive others. And the reason I make a point of this is that in how we forgive others depends on how we understand God has forgiven us. Amen? Amen. So when we, when we understand the extent of which God has forgiven us, then I believe forgiving others comes a little bit quicker and easier. But listen to this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money, right? That's like student debt type debt. (laughs) When he began, uh, he owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with a wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Having patience, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him money, a hundred denarii, And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. (laughs) 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went on and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my father in heaven will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Very sobering parable, isn't it? In other words, he's saying, unless you can forgive your brother and sister, you don't understand the forgiveness that I am offering you and you do not have it. And so we must learn to forgive one another. And as the parable said, it has to be from the heart, right? You can go to someone and be nice and play nice and doesn't necessarily mean you have forgiven them. You must forgive from the heart. Our love for God, this is another kind of corollary that goes along with this, but our love for God is relative to how much we understand the extent to which he has forgiven us. Does that make sense? Our love for God is relative to how much we understand the extent to which he has forgiven us. And the term that comes to my mind is he who has forgiven much loves much. And so there was a story of a woman who was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and she was a, a woman that didn't have the best reputation. And Jesus says about this, he says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my feet with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And I think the principle here is that we deeply need to understand our need of forgiveness. In other words, we're not as good as what we think we are. <laughs> and if we understood how bad we are, we would appreciate God's forgiveness so much more. And we would enjoy the peace of God and we would not fear judgment from him, which is ultimately the goal of, one of the goals of forgiveness as well, right? Is that we not have a sense of impending doom of judgment, but that we have the peace of God. But first, before that happens, we must recognize we are in desperate need of forgiveness. Amen? Amen? I hope we can see that. If not, Scripture loves to point it out to us about our sin and about our unbelief. It does it all throughout the Bible. You see, so many times we think of sin as maybe a little white lie, maybe a little unkind word here and there. And those definitely are sins against people. But the Bible more often talks about sin as being pride in our life, rebellion against God, 
lawlessness. And in Romans chapter 3, I, I can't remember how many times we've read this, but I'll keep reading it because it so clearly portrays what our sin is like from God's viewpoint, how he views it. Romans chapter 3, 9 through 18, Paul says, What then? Are Jews better off? He'd been comparing Gentiles to Jew. Both of them fell short of God's glory and have sinned. He says, No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. That's only, there's only two kinds of people, right? Jews and the Gentiles. <laughs> and they're all under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. How many are righteous? None. No one's righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18 sums it up. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear at all of God. They act as if there's no God. They turn aside from God. They do their own thing. They use their mouth, which is given to be an instrument of praise to God. They use it as if it were an open grave to speak against their fellow man and against God. I too was once like this. <laughs> you guys have heard my testimony before. A young lady uh, who was the instrumental part of it uh, shared the gospel illustration with me. And I remember telling her that I didn't think I really believed in God, but that if he did exist, I didn't want him telling me what to do. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it. And that's the way most people go about their life. It's not that they don't believe in God, it's that they do not want to submit to God, which is a, an act of love, right? Submitting to God is an act of love. It sounds draconian, it sounds, it, it sounds almost wrong to say that you submit to something, but that's just our pride. We sh need to surrender our whole lives to Jesus Christ. The debt for our sin is immense and it stands against us as an indictment of what we will be judged for. It's even greater than the national debt. And that's pretty high, right? The national debt, I looked this up in 2008, was $8 trillion. The national debt in 2022 is $28.5 trillion. That's $86,000 per person, not per taxpayer, that's per person in the United States that we owe to the national debt. How does that make you feel? What if you had to pay that back? Yeah, you couldn't pay it back, right? That's the point. We cannot pay back our sin debt. We cannot pay back our sin debt. But truthfully, about the, the debt here in America, I, I wrote down here my little thought, uh, most people don't care as long as we have our stuff. 
But one day, the bill will come due. And in the United States, one day the bill will come due, one way or another, and the same way with our sin, one day the bill will come due. I don't know about you, but I can't pay that debt. And it scares me that I can't pay that debt. God is holy and just. He expects and requires perfection. Did you know that? He requires from us perfection. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, you, you therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. To be less than perfect makes pos impossible for us to reflect his image. So we are falling short of what God designed us to do. We're in trouble. The word of God says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And yet the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. The Old Testament taught that, right? You go to the temple, you take your sacrifice to the temple, and they, uh, in some cases there was a blood sacrifice, either a burnt offering or other types of offering, and that was atonement for your sin. But it really only pointed to the one who would eventually provide forgiveness, and that's Jesus Christ. Our personal sacrifices are insufficient. Our personal efforts to try to make up for our sin. They are insufficient. We are insufficient to provide anything that would contribute to our being forgiven for God. We certainly try to do that. Many people try to do it. Maybe church attendance is one way. They think if, if I can just go to church, then God will see me as being righteous or being better somehow and I'll be forgiven for my sin. But it's not that. It's not baptism. It's not giving to the church. It's not doing good deeds at your local hospital. All those things are worthy things if done with the right motive. We've not even talked about motive. But if done right, with the right motive, those are noble things, but they cannot save and take away your sin debt. Listen, the cross of Christ is sufficient. Amen? The cross of Christ is sufficient. Jesus provides all that we need. He makes up for our sin deferent. Uh, uh, he makes up for our sin debt. And he not only makes up for our debt, but he causes us to deserve a reward above and beyond being forgiven for our sin. He gives us his very own righteousness and he did everything perfectly and is deserving of a reward. And when we unite with him in faith and trust, our sin debt is forgiven and we are deserving of a reward. Jesus paid the debt for past, present, and future sins. Did you know that? He doesn't have to come back again, right? So what, the writer, we went through the book of Hebrews and there was this sense that the Hebrew people, now that they had been introduced to Christ, they had professed him in some way or another, and yet when they had sinned, they wanted to go back and start offering the Old Testament sacrifices again because they thought Jesus is dead and he's risen from the dead. He's not here. He can't go back on the cross, so we must offer other sacrifices, but... 
The writer of Hebrews says, no, Jesus died a, sac a, a death once for all, for all time, past, present, and future sins. Because he's a better sacrifice, amen? amen. He's a better sacrifice than that of, blo uh, of bulls and goats. So the, bulls of, the reason bulls and goats can't take away our sin is because they are not human. Jesus was human and he was a better sacrifice because of that. He was a better priest than the Levitical priest who would take the offering into the Holy of Holies. He's one who intercedes on our behalf, just like he did for Peter, right? Remember P Peter's conundrum? He was told that by Jesus, Jesus said, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And Jesus told Peter himself that he would deny Christ three times before the cock crows. And Jesus nevertheless prayed for him and said, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And even during that time, Jesus was extending and had, had uh, forgiveness for Peter. And Peter came back, right? He came back. And so Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. He is the implement, implementer of a better covenant. And it's one that God fills unconditionally, right? We call it an unconditional covenant. You might ask, well, what that is? Well, this is what it is. It's unconditional on our part. There's no conditions for us to meet. He has met them all. He has met all of the conditions of the covenant. And that, folks, is one reason why we can never lose our salvation, never depended on us to begin with. He fulfills all of those perfectly. So 1 John 1, 9, let's look at that a little closer. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must confess our sin to God. We must admit, it really means to agree, confess. It means to agree with God about our sin. We confess and we repent. I believe it's implied in that that we repent as well, which means to turn away from our sin. When we do that, God is going to be faithful. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful? When we confess our sin, he will forgive us of our sin. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is just because Jesus has paid the price on our behalf. See, God can never just, we've talked about this before too, I've used this illustration, he could never just take our sin and sweep it under the rug and hide it, right? It has to be dealt with, it has to be paid for. And that is exactly what Jesus has done. So, that's, that's our model, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, repent of our sin, then we will be forgiven of our sin, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and be right with God. So I thought about maybe there would be some questions about assurance of forgiveness. What if I sin after become a Christian? Well, we kind of already talked about that. The Hebrews had that same question. I've sinned, Jesus is gone. What, what, what can I do? Do I need to offer another sacrifice? Do I, you know, do I need to go to the altar again? No, we just continue to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. 
It is sufficient for all sin for all time. What if I sin again and again and again? (laughs) God forgives again and again and again. Amen? Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you 77 times, but 77 times. In other words, every time a person comes to Christ and asking forgiveness, he will forgive. I am so thankful for that. I have probably gone 10,000 times. (laughs) And you say, wow, what kind of pastor are you? trying to be an honest one. (laughs) I have gone 10,000 times asking for forgiveness. And uh, I'm not proud of that. I hope I'm getting better. But he will forgive as many times as we come to him confessing our sin. You might say, well, what what if I don't confess? What if I don't confess my sin? First of all, I don't think a true Christian would would do would do that I think all people who genuinely have faith and trust in Christ will come to God and confess their sin and ask for forgiveness nevertheless God's sacrifice through Jesus is sufficient amen it is sufficient for all sin what if I commit a really really bad sin a really bad sin Will God still forgive you? Absolutely, right? Absolutely, he will forgive you. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus asked for forgiveness for those who crucified him. What greater sin is there than crucifying the son of God? I can't think of any. I can't think of any that would be greater than that. And yet he prayed for forgiveness. Now, do you think that prayer was answered by God? Of course it was. He's God in the flesh. He's... He's perfectly in will with the Father. And we see that on the day of Pentecost, don't we? We say the same group of people gathered together. Peter preaches a sermon and they are saved. They are forgiven. What if I stop believing? What if I stop believing? You you will not stop believing if your faith is from God and genuine. You will not. You're going to believe from now on. Your faith may waver. You may have doubts. You may have periods where sin enters your life and seems as though it has control of you. But ultimately, God's faith placed in you will persevere. 2 Peter 1, 10, 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You won't won't, uh, stop believing if your faith in God is genuine. And so that's why Peter tells you now, he says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. That's what we're supposed to be doing now, right? Thinking about, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly in Christ? Am I just playing around with this sin? Or do I really want forgiveness and deliverance from this sin? Or do I want to treasure it and keep a little bit over here for myself and not really fully surrender that to God? 
The elect do not do that, right? The elect, those who are elect, those who are called by God, they have the Holy Spirit within them, who is a deposit guaranteeing their salvation, they will confess their sin and their faith is genuine. Same thing, what if I deny Christ? True believers in Christ will not finally reject or deny Christ. I truly believe that. I think that's what scripture says. Are there people who deny Christ? Yes. Are there people in the church who profess to know Christ who deny Christ? Yes. But my viewpoint, and I believe the biblical viewpoint, is that they were never saved to begin with. They never had a faith that was from God. I believe that if you are put in a situation where you are coerced to deny Christ, that God will provide grace in any of those situations and give you the strength to endure it so that you will not deny Christ. Final question, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Have I for committed the unforgivable sin? Matthew 12, 32 says, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either, either, either in this life or the age to come. The only unforgivable sin today is unbelief. That is the unforgivable sin, where you reject the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. To reject Christ as Savior and Lord is the only unforgivable sin. And so assurance of forgiveness, I hope you've seen, is a true thing that we can have assurance of forgiveness and it brings us lasting peace, right? Amen. I feel good about that. I feel good about having lasting peace, knowing my sin is forgiven, that God is not hovering over me, waiting to pounce upon me at the first opportunity, but he wants me to enjoy peace. Amen. Don't you want that assurance today? Of course we do. Will you trust in him? That's what it means to trust in Jesus, trust and obey. We need Jesus. Jesus provides assurance. Jesus paid all of it. And that's why we can have assurance. Jesus paid it all. We need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for guiding us and directing us through this. Pray that we be encouraged today uh, as we leave this place, that we would know that our sins are forgiven, that they are as far away as the east is from the west, and that you will remember them no more. And it's all because of Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen.